Hi, and welcome to the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Schill, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. And I'm David Averbach, CEO and Publisher. Each episode, we bring to you the best apps, top tips, and great gear in the iOS world. I'm excited to be here recording our April episode. Yeah, happy April, Donna. <laughs> yes, it's uh, raining <laughs> in accordance with April showers. Yes, we can all hope for May flowers. Yeah. N- so- <laughs> nailing our, in- enter- <laughs> our banter to begin the episode. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so we have a fun episode for you today. We've been testing out a lot of smart home gear and we want to tell you all of our takeaways. We have all the best products that we think you should get. Yes. And also just the pitfalls to avoid. And I'm really excited about this episode. As we mentioned in the last episode, we've switched to a monthly frequency. And while we miss y'all in the off weeks, uh, it allows us to have more in-depth episodes. And this is one of those where... I, we spent, I mean, I've probably spent six months preparing for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know, David's, David's so excited this day has arrived. The day has arrived. Well, because we have, I don't know if we talk about this on the podcast, but we have a policy of only recommending products that we've had hands-on experience with, mm-hmm. which when it comes to smart home gear, it's a lot to set up. It's a lot to get these review units. They're expensive. So it takes a long time to prepare for something like this. Yeah. It's something we really can't emphasize enough that we're not going to recommend anything to you that we wouldn't use ourselves. And that we haven't used ourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we also are going to go over some rumors. Um, Apple has now confirmed its WWDC dates, which is its worldwide developers conference. They hold every June where they release all the new software and other things that we'll get into when during our news section of the <laughs> podcast. But we want to keep you informed about that. Uh, before the June announcement, we're also going to have an episode dedicated to all the rumors for iOS 17 and reality headset, stuff like that. All right. <laughs> Can't help yourself. Got to sneak that one in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Okay, so uh, first up, we wanted to first share a message from our sponsor. Today's iPhone Life podcast is brought to you by Case Buddy. Case Buddy makes travel cases and accessories for your tech, and they have some really cool products tailored to Apple devices. They make ear loops for your AirPods so that they won't fall out. There's nothing worse than an AirPod falling out. You can't find it. CaseBuddy also makes sturdy travel cases for your chargers and your cables so they're safe when you're on the go. They also make a product which has been really popular with our audience called the Crossbody Lanyard. It's a strap that goes over your shoulder and connects to your iPhone. This is perfect for those situations where you want to keep your device close at hand, but don't necessarily want to be holding it. You can check out all of Case Buddy's gear by going to their website, gobuddy.com. That's G-O-B-U-D-I.com. You can also find them on Amazon by searching Case Buddy, C-A-S-E-B-U-D-I. Today's iPhone Life podcast is brought to you by Withings. Withings makes smart health gear that pairs with your Apple devices. They make a blood pressure cuff called the BPM Connect, which is super easy to use and connects neatly with your iPhone. They also make a smart scale called the Body Comp, which measures way more than just weight, like bone mass, water ratio, and body fat. They make a smart watch called Scan Watch, which does almost everything the Apple Watch does and it looks a lot more stylish, more like a classic timepiece. My favorite of their devices is their sleep tracking mat, which goes underneath your mattress and measures all of your sleep phases. And the coolest thing about Withings stuff is that all their gear 
integrates seamlessly with the Apple Health app. So it measures all those health metrics and then you can see it or share it with your doctor if need be. You can find Withings at their website, withings.com. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S.com. I also wanted to take a minute to tell you about our own free newsletter. It's called iPhone Life's Daily Tip Newsletter. You can go to iphonelife.com slash daily tip to sign up. This has been our longest standing newsletter, right? Or it's our, at least our biggest one. It is, yeah, it, it's our biggest one. Uh, the weekly's been around a little while longer, but we're yeah, at uh, right. over 400,000 subscribers on this newsletter. We send it out every single day. Yeah, so people love it. You can use it. Uh, a lot of people like to sip their morning coffee and read up on something cool they can do on their iPhone in under a minute. Um, I love our daily tip newsletter. It's something that... Uh, we all take a lot of pride in here. So go to iphonelife.com slash daily tip and start mastering your iPhone in under one minute a day for free. I have two daily tips I wanted to share on this episode today. One of them I had to bring up because in honor of David, because I think oh, wow. he's the one who uh, told our daily tip team to use this as a tip because it's something that he really likes. I, I, this is a surprise to me. I don't, I don't know what's coming. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. And I've been having it on my phone the last couple of days to see if I like it. It's how to add Siri suggestions to your home screen. Ah, Yes. So um, this is a widget that you can add to your home screen. And um, it's one that I actually was kind of skeptical of, but I'm a convert. So okay. I thought I would share that. So how you do it is you, uh, from your home screen, if you press and hold anything that's not an app icon, you'll get a little plus icon in the upper left corner to modify your home screen. Tap that, and then you can scroll through different widget options. And one of the preset ones from Apple is called Siri Suggestions. Yes. So if you tap on that, there are a couple options. I actually added two of them to my home screen. One of them is Siri Suggestions of apps. So it's going to be apps that you use at different times of the day. And Siri will kind of like anticipate what you're wanting to do next mm -hmm. and have them on your home screen for you. It's sort of a mixed bag uh, widget in my mind in that it, it looks exactly like your home screen usually would. You can't tell the difference between yeah. the apps that are yeah. Siri suggestions and then ones that you manually set there. So that's like something that's a little, takes a little getting used to. Yeah. But I have found that it's very good at anticipating what I want to <laughs> use. Like it knows my schedule exactly. And let me, because apparently <laughs> I am the originator of this tip, let me yeah. give a little bit about how I use it. Um, I am a really big advocate of using search to open apps as a general practice, as opposed to kind of the old fashioned way of doing it, which is having your whole home, like host of home screens, each one organized by apps and folders. At this point, we all have too many apps to keep it well organized. And then I find it hard to find things. And so I just basically hide all of my apps and either open it by searching, or I have a few favorite apps that I keep on my dock. So what that means is my home screen on my iPhone, I have several widgets and then I have a section where I use this. And so basically what I could have done is just put my favorite apps there, but I find that Siri does a pretty good job of putting my favorite apps there. And what's nice about it, like Donna's saying, it anticipates which apps you're using. So let's say I'm planning a trip coming up in a month or two. I might be using certain apps to plan that trip that I use frequently for the next month or two, but then after the trip, I don't use it all. Rather than having to like move that over to my frequently used apps on my home screen, I just leave it as a Siri spotlight and Siri will basically remember that I like this app for the next few months and then once I stop using it, it'll stop suggesting it. The thing that I do find annoying about it 
is that you never know where the app's going to be in the lineup or whether it's going to yeah. be there at all. So like if you're somebody who uses like five apps just religiously and always wants to access them quickly and easily, this maybe isn't for you. If you're someone who's a little bit flexible about organization, but just kind of wants your apps generally easily accessible like me, uh, then this works. To answer your question, on my home screen, I don't have any apps other than in the dock. You just use widgets. So here's what I have. I'll literally tell y'all. Uh, <laughs> I have uh, upcoming spoiler upcoming episode. I got a Tesla, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. But Tesla has a really great app in widget. So I have the Tesla widget, cool. and then I have the weather widget, and then I have a, a custom widget that I made that is my Spotify um, podcast and uh, Audible. Oh, nice. So I can shuffle through and quickly open up whichever one I want. And then underneath... It's like your learning one. It, yeah, because usually throughout the day, I'm listening to one of those three all day. So, uh, And then underneath that, where you would normally just see a bunch of apps, this is where I have my spotlight. Uh, and this is a really good example. I'm actually... Which is series suggestions. Yes, right? thanks. Yeah. I keep calling it spotlight. Series suggestions. <laughs> this is a good example, though, of how, why it's so valuable. Um Spoiler, uh, for the insiders, I have a lot of comments about weather apps uh, because we've had a lot of extreme weather. So I've been using weather apps a lot this month, which, whereas normally I don't use them almost ever. So now it's suggesting weather app there for me, where normally it wouldn't. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, which is something that I would never manually do, but I'm glad it's there. Nice. And so that's one of them is the series suggestions for apps. But while you're in that little section where you can add widgets to your home screen, if you swipe right, you'll or right to left, you'll see some other ones. And another one that I actually like, I think arguably better is um, their shortcuts. It says they call, I think it's called Siri shortcuts, but it's shortcuts of actions that you take at yeah. certain times of the day. And so I chose the biggest widget for that. And it does take up a lot of screen real estate, but I found it helpful. Like this morning, it was like, send a message to Austin, uh, who I, <laughs> who's one of the staff here, because like on Slack, because I've been doing that the last couple mornings, I guess. And then it was like telling me to text back people that texted me that I haven't responded to yet. Um, there are a couple other things like checking the yoga schedule, which I usually do. And I'm like, whoa, this is creepy. It knows me, but I actually do want to do all these things. Oh, funny. See, <laughs> I had that experience that I found. I had the half of that where I found it creepy that it knew me, but in general, not to be that useful. You're like, no, I actually don't want to message. It would like remind me to text my partner. Good morning. And like, I do that a lot, but also, um, I don't need a reminder. Like, I, and like, it's just like there's shortcuts that do, just don't help me that much. Yeah. Well, to each their own. You can try them both and let us yeah. know how you like it. You can always email podcast at iphonelife.com. We love hearing from all of you. I did want to give one bonus tip. Um, I was having a hard time choosing between them. And with the monthly episodes, I was like, I'm just going to do two. Do two. Um, so the other one is how to blur your background in FaceTime. Oh. I feel like with all so many of us working from home and also doing kind of being more in the habit of doing video calls with family it's nice to be able to hide the mess in the background. It just in general looks more <laughs> professional, I think, to have portrait mode on. And I, this is also they I think they rolled this out with iOS 15, I believe. Yeah, it's been around for a while. But it's a little bit hidden and not used that often. And I agree. It's a nice feature to know where it is and how to use. Yeah. So in the FaceTime app itself, once you've started a call, there's going to be a little icon. Um, let me describe what it looks like in the podcast. We always need to be uh, more auditory in our in our um, descriptions, it's a little picture. It's like a profile of a person with a white background. So you tap on that. 
But what I wanted to say, the way that I do it most of the time now is through control center. So when you're on a FaceTime call, if you swipe down from the upper right corner and you tap the video icon that'll show up, you'll have the option to set portrait mode. You'll also have the option to use portrait lighting, which also just makes you look better. So that's like, I think it's cool because how would anyone know that unless you had a tip for it? Yeah. Why would you think you'd be able to turn on the blurred background from Control Center? No, exactly. It's not intuitive and it's very useful. So that's yeah. a good plug for the tip of the day because that's what we try to do is find those hidden gems for y'all. And the reason that I like doing it through Control Center is that it also works in other video apps. And it's, so you can just do the same thing, whether you're in Zoom, FaceTime, or Google Meet. I want to say I've I've used it with a few different um, video chat platforms and it's worked every time. Now, one word of warning on that is that some of the video platforms have their own blurred functionality and you want to be careful not to double up because it can get pretty buggy. <laughs> but, they, but Apple's one is better. Okay. So yeah, that's good, another good pro. Like I use it instead of Zoom's blurred background because it does a better job. Well, And, and I'm pretty sure then if that is true, because I hadn't tested side by side. The blurred background feature is also available on Macs. So you could do the mm -hmm. same thing on a Mac if you prefer that. Yeah. And if you have the latest Mac OS, it's also in the control center. If you want to fool people into thinking you're on a beach, you have to use Zooms, though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So moving on from our daily tip, we have a premium educational platform called iPhone Life Insider. We have a community of over 15,000 members. They're all Apple enthusiasts there to learn how to get the most out of all of their Apple devices from your Mac to your iPhone to Apple Watch. Fun fact, I think our insiders, how many, what percent have Apple Watches? 91% <laughs> of them have iPads and 62% of them have Apple Watches. We just did a survey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we're excited about yeah. it. Um, but iPhone Life Insider is um, a really amazing way to learn however works for you. We put a lot of effort into creating content for different learning styles. So you get this podcast ad free and with bonus content. If you like to listen to podcasts. If, if you want to hear me rant about weather apps today. If, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have live courses if that live interactions with instructors and other students is, is the best way to learn for you. Also having a schedule, a time and place to be there. We've got live courses for that. We have um, daily tips in video format so you can follow along one minute a day on your iPhone and learn something cool. We have Ask an Expert where you can write into our team of experts and get a guaranteed response to any tech issues or questions you're having. And we also have our digital subscription to iPhone Life magazine, which we have over 35 past issues. You get the full archive plus every new issue that we come out with, which has everything from all of the apps you need to download on your phone in top categories to all the gear you need to get um, to go with your Apple devices. So if you want to get 30% off your subscription just for being a podcast listener, you can go to iphonelife.com slash podcast discount and sign up today. We've got a photo editing course coming up early summer, so you're gonna wanna sign up in time for that. Uh, iphonelife.com slash podcast discount. A couple just real quick plugs for content that we is either just released or coming out. We just released our maps guide. So if you are planning on doing any traveling, this one's amazing. And we had a maps guide a few years ago and had to completely redo it because of all the new changes to the maps guide. They pretty much redesigned it. Mm -hmm. So that's a must read for anybody who uses the maps app. And we have 
an, a guide that I'm really excited about, our Hidden Gems Guide, where we've now kind of combed through every nook and cranny of the iPhone to find all of the coolest hidden gems. So that is coming out next month. Yeah, actually, this month. The, yeah, end of this it is month. April. I keep on forgetting that it <laughs> actually is April okay. now. Yeah, so our iPhone Hidden Gems is coming right up. So we have a question from an insider in our recent privacy and security course, which was one of our most popular courses of all time. And so I wanted to share a question and answer with you, which side note, if you uh, if you sign up for insider two, you get access to this course on demand. So if you want to be learning stuff about password management or browsing online safely, this is a really great course for that. So um, here we have a question here. I listened to the privacy and security sessions. They're great. Question, how many password, how many passwords do I need just for my Apple devices that can't go in my password manager? So Cullen, who led the course, wrote back, glad you enjoyed the course. Password managers are an essential tool for our modern environment, modern environment. But it <laughs> is true that not everything can go in your manager. And so he lists out here what you'll need to remember. I did want to make the point that you can manually add passwords to your password manager too. So I have added my Apple ID and password to my, to my Apple password manager. Um, but that aside, here are the passwords that you need for your Apple devices. The first one is the passcode for your iPhone. So that's the one when you go, when your phone is locked and you have to enter in some digits, that's your iPhone passcode. This is by the way, is one of those passwords that's, um, it's hard to emphasize enough how important it is to have one that is at least six digits because anybody who gets your phone, even if you're using Face ID or, or uh, Touch ID, if they figure out that passcode, they get access to everything in your phone. So passcode, set that up, use six digits. Uh, the passcode for your iPad, if you have one. We also recommend choosing a different passcode for your iPad than your iPhone. Then there's the administrator password for your Mac. That's the one that you enter in and that gives you access to your computer when it's locked. And then also anytime you want to do anything like access your password manager, if you're using iCloud or download apps, it's going to ask you to enter that again. So that's another one that you want to um, set a secure password for. Uh, then you've got your Apple ID um, account, which you're going to have a password for that lets you access iCloud and all like downloading apps and everything. It's like your pat, it's your account for all Apple devices. And then, um, you might be asked for a notes app password. And you also, if you have a third party password manager, you'll need a master password for that. So those are the ones, there are a few you're going to need to remember that once you have that set up, it'll give you access to everything. I hope that was not confusing people more than clarifying anything. If you are confused, we have a course for you. We've purposely confused you so that you'll come to our course. The just basic, kidding. just to back up one step here to, to like kind of look at it from a little farther away. We recommend using a password management tool, either iCloud Keychain or a third party one. If you're using a third party one, our favorite is Bitwarden. And if you are using a password management tool, basically what you need, you store all your passwords in the password management tool, and then you need the passwords to, if you're using iCloud Keychain, to get into your device. And if you're using a password management tool, you need an extra password for that password management tool, because obviously your password management tool can't memorize its own password. Yeah, and I'll also just add a little personal context to that. Bitwarden, 
while I think is great, I prefer using iCloud Keychain because I only use Apple devices and I use Safari, Apple's browser for my online uh, work. So it's one less password to remember because I don't need a master password for a third party yeah. manager. If you use the iCloud Keychain, your iPhone's passcode is what lets you access your password manager. So if you're someone who uses Apple devices exclusively and you want probably like the easiest uh, kind of least mental overhead way of managing your passwords, I would just say use iCloud Keychain. And in that instance for myself, all I need to remember is my iPhone passcode. Um, and that's pretty much it because I, I store my Apple ID password in my manager too. So really, that's all I need to memorize. The, the other one I'm assuming you need to have memorized would be the passcode for your password for your computer. That's true. My so administrator. To, but those are ones we all have to memorize no matter what. There's just no getting around that in life is you need the passwords to your phone and your computer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we also have some comments from listeners from our last episode. Um, for those of you who haven't listened yet, in March we did a spring buyer's guide from Apple. We went over... Apple's new yellow iPhone 14. I at least tacked that <laughs> on to the beginning because Apple released the yellow iPhone 14 the day that we recorded. It's Apple has such an annoying history of releasing products literally as we're recording po podcast episodes. Yeah. And then we went over Apple's new second gen HomePod and also all of the new uh, MacBook, the Mac mini and the MacBook Pro that Apple came out with. So many of you wrote in telling us what you decided to buy from la Apple's latest round of releases. So I wanted to, to share those. I want to hear if anybody is on your side that they they must buy a yellow iphone <laughs> no, i said i liked the color that's i didn't tell people they should buy <laughs> that was not a recommendation okay yeah okay so first up we have marilyn who wrote in this year i'm hoping to upgrade to an iphone 14 pro because i'm an avid photo taker a new ipad pro with a new smart case and keyboard because i spilled orange juice oh, on the old sorry, keyboard marilyn. but at least it was fresh squeezed <laughs> <laughs> i liked marilyn's sense of humor and since my sense fitbit won't allow me to sync any longer and its app won't accept any new passwords i throw at it i finally realized that i really need an apple watch oh yeah i need a set of airpods too welcome to the club <laughs> so we need everything all the time yeah we're fan fan <laughs> people i'm not a wealthy individual but i'm attempting to work myself up to this massive and expensive purchase i'm an artist and i have to stop spending my money on materials <laughs> and classes before i can afford this stuff i'm really trying best marilyn um a tech dummy who doesn't understand anything in the tech world to me it sounds like you're doing pretty well yeah marilyn. thanks for writing in so we have another message here um from Robert Jensen. You asked, I think, for this. I, an old retired guy, just bought my first Apple computer last Wednesday. It's the MacBook Pro 14-inch, 16 gigabytes with a terabyte of storage. Um, congratulations on your first MacBook Pro. Uh, you also attended the security course and said it was tremendous. Thank you so much. <laughs> so glad to hear that. And um, finally, we have Carl, who wrote in. I'm currently wrapping up my research into the mini... M2 and M2 Pro. So Apple came out with the MacBook Mini, or sorry, the Mac Mini, and you could get it either with the M2 chip or the M2 Pro chip. Um, so this, I really wanted to read out this question because, or answer, because it fits into a good debate about which processor you should go with. It took some time to figure out the best configuration for both models. I'll be purchasing the M2 Pro to extend the life of the device what many call future-proofing. Initially, I was going to hot rod the base M2. 
do this to do so would drive the price of the m2 to a level very close to the m2 pro yeah. plus this method doesn't allow an increase in performance the m2 base machine will never equal the m2 pro the limiting issue is the m2 chip itself this chip will never equal the output of the m2 pro you can dress the unit any way you want it will never be more than an m2 um, if i can if you can see an m2 in your budget i'd suggest the m2 pro with a couple of upgrades don't forget that whatever model you pick, you will be stuck with it for all of eternity. <laughs> we'll be so, not all eternity. Yeah. Dude. So I, I thought I wanted to run this one by you, David. Um, I do. I think you have been a big proponent of getting the latest chip so that you are future proofing your device. But some, for some people, getting more RAM and more storage is actually going to be make a bigger difference for them than getting the like most maxed out M2 Pro chip, right? Yeah, so, okay, I, a, a couple thoughts. In general, I agree with the concept of future-proofing and, you know, spending a little extra to get the device you will, that will serve you for years to come. I also, I think Carl's making a really important point, and it's something that we've actually had a lot of conversations about in how we cover these devices, is Apple sometimes does this deceptive thing where they will have two models of like either a computer or a phone, let's say the computer, because we're talking about a computer, and the base models will be, they'll have a budget option and then they'll have the expensive option so that we have our MacBook Air and our MacBook Pro. But the base model of the MacBook Air doesn't come with enough specs to really make it as powerful as you need it to be slash future-proof it. So then what you need to do is what he's calling hot rod, which is basically you need to add a bunch of specs. So it comes, I believe it comes with eight gigabytes of RAM, which is just not enough. I could be wrong. Um, but you want to add more RAM and then you need to add more memory. And by the time you're done, you have a computer that's actually pretty comparable to the MacBook Pro. But the MacBook Pro base models come with more specs. So oftentimes when you're comparing the two, make sure you're comparing them with the specs you need, not just the base model. Cause I have been surprised over and over that the, the pro models can be pretty comparable in price. Once I add in all the specs that I need, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, to get to your question though, I think for most people, most of the time, the M2 chip is powerful enough. I love my pro computer. If it if the price is anywhere close, I think a pro computer is better than the MacBook Air. But then there's a lot of trade-offs. A, the price is often not the same. And B, MacBook Air is a lot more portable. Like, you love the MacBook Air. I do. But if I had the option to get, like, Apple's rumored to come out with a new Air soon, and they might have different versions of the chip available for it, like, do you think I should get the pro or max version of the chip for the MacBook Air, if I could, or uh, is the M2 fine? I think let's save that for when it comes out because yeah. I have to see the specs. <laughs> and also we we covered this really in depth last episode. So I want to be careful not to get too lost in the weeds. Yeah, yeah. But I think the main takeaways here that Carl is making are really good. So I just want to highlight them. Number one, make sure you're future proofing by not skimping on specs that will make the computer not last as long. Number two, make sure when you're doing your price comparisons that you are uh, looking at the, the specs that you need, not just the base model, because sometimes the base model looks a lot cheaper until you add the specs in. Number three, uh, think through the, the processor. So his point is a good one that all things being equal, a better processor helps. So yeah. if, if your prices are pretty comparable, go with the M2 Pro, not the M2. That being said, I will add the modifier that that is just my opinion, which is if 
price is different, the M2, I think, is good enough for most people most of the time. Yeah, like I would probably opt for the M2 and get more RAM if I was on a budget and had to choose between the two. Yeah. Um, like how, you know, eight gigabytes of RAM is not a good choice. 16 at least. Yeah. Is probably yeah. where you want to go. So thank you all so much for writing in. We love hearing from you. And we promise we're going to get into smart homes soon. Before we do, the last thing we wanted to talk about is just our news section. Apple announced WWDC. We've yes. been having a lot of excitement around the office about that. Yes. So WWDC stands for Worldwide Developer Conference, and it's a conference Apple holds once a year for their development community. Um, the reason why we are excited, despite the fact that we do not know how to code anything. Uh, <laughs> except for Raf. Except for Raf. Our CTO. Who is not on our and podcast, Aziza. but is very talented at programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, in May attend the rest of the conference. For us, what we like is they have a keynote in the beginning of the of conference where they always announce the new operating systems. Sometimes they announce new hardware, which we'll get to, but a minimum we'll get the new operating systems for Apple's devices. So we'll get iOS 17, what what's included in iOS 17, iPad OS 17, Watch OS 10, and um, also whatever they call their new Mac OS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So June 5th, that's a Monday. We'll be doing a podcast right afterwards and going over everything that Apple announces. We're also going to do a rumor episode before that June date. Um, But this is something to keep an eye on. Not only are you going to find out all the software that's coming, going to be rolled out for the devices that you have, um, but also Apple's expected to release some gear. Apple's expected to release a mixed reality headset that um, would really be the first time in many years that Apple's... uh, Apple has released an entirely new product category. Yeah, and it's been rumored for years and years. Like Apple has been working on this for a very long time. Obviously, Facebook has the Oculus. Microsoft has a competitor as well. So this is an exciting category, and it'll be really interesting to see what Apple does. Yeah, we've got a great rumor post, by the way, in our latest issue of iPhone Life magazine in the digital issue, if you want to check that out. Um, also I'm personally very excited. We may be getting a new M2 MacBook air. So I'm keeping an eye on that because it's supposed to be 15 and a half inches. Whereas the one I have is 13 inches, which my M1 MacBook air is feeling kind of small. Um, (laughs) and having of course the extra processing power and a better webcam would be great. At the risk of cold water on your excitement. Every single well, I don't know. I don't know anything <laughs> that you don't know except to say that every single year, uh, pundits like to uh, tell us that the rumors are that Apple will announce gear at WWDC, and they almost never do. Every once in a while, they will, so it could happen. Yeah. But nine times out of ten, they wait till September, and they just announce software. So every year we have this, and we all get excited about oh, new Macs. For some reason, it's always rumors about new Macs because sometimes they do. So every year we get excited about new Macs and. The virtual reality headset, both, I think it will come out eventually. So maybe this is our time, but also, I mean, what, we've had two or three years now of telling people they're about to announce it. <laughs> yeah, but the WWDC invite also alludes to oh, the VR okay. headset. It See? looks like the uh, rounded, um, it looks like the profile of a VR headset. And Apple's uh, like press main press person has been like hyping it up being like this is going to be a really extra special one so there you go so it seems like they would i mean apple of course it's usual hyperbole is like this is the best best wwdc ever so it could just be that but (laughs) to me it sounded a little more promising okay that's good to know it's good to it's a good reminder that we don't usually get that at wwdc so 
we'll I, I like to manage my own expectations yeah. on this because I get all excited and then disappointed. So I'm trying to do that for y'all as well. But True. this sounds like maybe there's some truth to these. Uh, and it'll be exciting not only because it's been a long time since Apple's released a new product category, but virtual reality is interesting because it has the potential to be disruptive. It has yeah. the potential to be a product category that replaces all other product categories. Not it won't. That's not what will be announced at WWC. But this, their early days of what could be something that becomes like the new computer, which we just haven't seen in a while. Yeah, like so far with VR headsets, it has zero appeal to me like i'm not gonna be like i'm not a huge gamer and that seems like the best way to use vr headsets so far but um mixed reality or you know augmented reality whatever you want to call it like that does seem like that there's a lot of um there's a lot of evidence that that could be the future that instead of interacting with touch screens we could be wearing whether like glasses or goggles that would basically impose screens onto actual real life. And so that's something that, I mean, I still have a hard time imagining wearing <laughs> that's the key. all the time, but it is super intriguing in a way that even if I didn't want to buy the first model that came out, like it's, it's fun to imagine in 10 years, what the world is going to look like with technology. And maybe this will be the next thing. Yeah. There's some major challenges. Number one, you need to have a processor in the headset that's powerful enough to replace a computer and yeah. an iPhone potentially. Number two, you need to have what's called augmented reality. So we have virtual reality now, which is the headset that's closed off, but augmented reality would be projecting a virtual image onto an actual, into the real life world. Uh, and then number three, you have to make it so people want to actually wear it, which Google learned the hard way with their Google Glass. <laughs> so there's a lot of challenges and they're not going to, I would, don't think Apple will have solved all of these by June, but I, think so I think you're right that if you fast forward 10 years, it seems inevitable that these will be solved problems and that we will be seriously considering using augmented reality instead of all of our other tech devices. Yeah. Exciting. Okay, let's move on to smart, smart home. Homes. You all have been so patiently waiting. <laughs> so to start off our smart home conversation, David and I, instead of just jumping into product recommendations, we wanted to talk about first some of the things to avoid and things you definitely should do when setting up a smart home. Yes. Because um, there is some trial and error involved, but we would like to help you cut down on that error if we can. <laughs> yes, and some some warnings slash best practices. Here. Yeah. All right. So um, to start off, I feel like we should just talk about HomeKit first, because that is kind of central to a lot of our yeah, yeah, can, can we start off just even broader back and be like, what is a smart home? In case yeah. people are a little bit like, why are we all why are Don and I so obsessed with this? What are we talking <laughs> about here? So basically, it, back in the day, they sort of seem to stop referring to this, but it used to be referred to as the Internet of Things. And as computer chips have gotten smaller and smaller, they've been able to be embedded in things other than just phones. And so a lot of home accessories, appliances, things like that now have computer chips in them. And you can use Wi-Fi to connect that to each other and to your phone. And so basically when we're talking about smart homes, what we're talking about is Wi-Fi compatible smart devices in your home. Uh, and of course that is really useful because then you can start to control all these devices in your home with your phone, with Siri, things like that. So though I think it'll become a lot more clear as we dive into it, but I wanted to start with like a definition of smart home. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The smart home, while it's been around 
for like over a decade. It's really, I would say, only more recently become more of a practical option. Yeah. Like, uh, Prices have become reached a point where the everyday user can use it, I think. Yeah. And I would say that if you are going to set up a smart home, one of the biggest benefits is being able to control multiple devices like in symphony in, co in coordination with each other um, as opposed to just controlling them separately because because personally it's actually not that cool being able to just turn on your lights with your phone or being able to control them with your voice but being able to do that also in conjunction with other smart home products so that you can say have like everything turn off for the night um, or like get ready for bedtime or have your morning routine like that starts getting really cool. Yeah, so part of what Donna's alluding to is each of these smart products comes with a companion app. So you you end up with like, you know, depending on how many smart products you have, 5, 10, 20 apps on your phone to control this stuff. But one thing that's really important to factor in is Apple has an operating system to control smart homes. It's called in the in the phone, it's the home app. And what you want to look for when you're buying smart home accessories is whether it's called HomeKit compatible. HomeKit compatible products allow you to control the products through Apple's Home app. And so what that means is you can control all of your smart home products through one app, Apple's Home app, and then it allows you to do things that Donna's talking about. For example, when I come home, my lights turn on, my door unlocks, my security system gets deactivated, my uh, my heat gets set to the right temperature. All of these, these things happen automatically and can be controlled through one app. That is both the, the power of smart homes, but also the power of buying HomeKit products. So some products are not HomeKit compatible, which means you will have to use individual apps to control each of them, uh, and which is why we re always recommend you look for HomeKit compatible products. All the products we're gonna recommend here are HomeKit compatible unless we specify and say otherwise. Yeah, and like not to be a wet blanket about it, but I think like you really do need to make sure you have the right, you've put in this research where the products you're getting are HomeKit compatible, you have good Wi-Fi in your home and you set things up right. Otherwise, I feel like it's pretty much a net negative to set up a smart <laughs> home because you're going to have things not working right and it's going to be really annoying. Yeah. So, But I think if you do take these steps and you get HomeKit compatible products and you have a good Wi-Fi strong signal throughout your home and you do set aside the right amount of time to set it up, then it's like really awesome. I it, love my smart home. I agree. I think, A, we, we tend to do these sort of conversations by starting with a lot of warnings. So <laughs> Don and I love our smart homes. We think it's worth it, but we want to yeah. make sure you've thought it through. Um, but B, smart homes do require a lot of warnings. There's a lot of like, make sure you know what you're getting into, make sure you're buying good products. Um, this is but that's what this episode's about. That's what we're here to help you with. Yeah. This is especially true recently with smart home products where Amazon has gotten flooded with just cheap kind of knockoff products. And in general, I, in general, I don't recommend buying cheap Amazon knockoff products, but I particularly recommend it, recommend against it for smart home because reliability is really important. Ease of use is really important. Setting it up so it functions with all of your other smart home devices is kind of make or break for this stuff. And finally, we'll get into it in a minute, but security is a factor here. So um, one of the th challenges, especially if we're talking about things like smart cameras, you really need to use a reputable company because there have been 
uh, companies that have kind of abused the privilege of having a camera in your home. Uh, and as soon as I, you frame it that way, you can understand why that would be so creepy. <laughs> yeah. Like there have been brands that I think have turned over footage to police departments without the proper, um, the proper approval. Yeah. So um, two brands that I tend to recommend against for these, and these are large brands actually. Ring is a brand that has had just not the best track record for, um, I should use the word privacy here because security, they're great on like, they're really nice to have a camera on your home to make sure that people, uh, are, your home is protected, but privacy yeah, it doesn't have a great track record of, uh, privacy, both, you know, people within the company, being able to access the cameras and also, uh, potentially turning over your footage to the police. Now that is something that all cameras can run into because police can get warrants. Uh, also, there's ways of doing it ethically where you ask for permission, but there's also ways to do it unethically, which sometimes they've done. Now, Ring is owned by Amazon. They claim to have corrected all of these yeah. things a lot. They're really, really popular. A lot of people use them. So you can do your own research inside if it's right for you or not, but they do have a history of some privacy abuses. The other one, which is a recent scandal, is a company called Eufy. Now, first of all, Eufy is owned by... Oh, man, I'm going to blank on their name now. They're the company that manufactures the iPhone. Um, and Anchor? No, no well, Anchor is part of that brand as well. But my point being, it's a Chinese-owned company. And as we're learning with TikTok, there's a lot of potential China concerns around privacy and China. Um, I'll leave it at that. But they just had a scandal where it, it was supposed to be encrypted. It was supposed to be that you can't, nobody but you could view this. And it turned out that was that was not marketed correctly. They claim to have fixed it. You can do your own research. They're, in general, great products. Uh, in general, I like their company. I like Anchor. Uh, but I would recommend against the camera for this reason. Okay, uh, how did we do in terms of all of our disclaimers? I think that was it. Um, yeah, the I added the Wi-Fi. I already mentioned that. But that's something that I definitely experienced when setting up a smart home is... Generally speaking, we um, I have good internet at my house, except for there are some rooms where it's not as strong. <laughs> and that's a problem because if you want to have your smart lights, for instance, like in um, certain corners of the house, they weren't responding wow. and working with other automations. So you want to think about making sure, first of all, that you have a good router, but that you might want to also put Wi-Fi extenders in any rooms that you have weaker Wi-Fi if you want to have working smart um, products in those rooms. I think my final word of warning here, and I'm sorry that we sound like wet blanket because we swear we love this yeah, stuff. We're here to help you set up a smart home because we love ours so much. Yeah. That's the baseline. But my <laughs> final word of warning is make sure you're setting aside more time than you would think when you're setting this up. Because my experience is even the best brands, the, all of them claim that it'll work. You can set it up in 30 seconds. And if everything goes well, that is true. But I just time and time again have had to learn this lesson where almost every time I try to set up a smart home product, something goes wrong. I almost always can troubleshoot it and fix it, but it almost always takes longer to set up than I would think. Yeah, unfortunately. So true. make sure you're setting aside enough time to troubleshoot it slash make sure that you have the bandwidth and enthusiasm to this stuff, it, it still unfortunately is a little bit for people who are enthusiasts who want to be able to troubleshoot why a light bulb won't turn on this morning. <laughs> Some yeah. people just want that stupid light bulb to turn on and don't care if they can ask Siri. 
I am not that person. I have fun with this stuff. But if you are that person, smart homes might not be for you. Yeah, I think what I ended up doing was uh, my boyfriend and I set aside a weekend to set up our smart home and really didn't have much else planned. And that was a good way to do it because it was kind of a fun project for us to do together. But I will say it also turned into like two, maybe three weekends <laughs> of setting stuff up. Now, to be fair, Donna and I, because we're testing this stuff, really went all in. So there's a lot of we'll, we'll tell you some of the I'm going to try to highlight things that are like easy purchases for everybody, things that are must have, even if you're not an enthusiast, and then some of the things that are really for enthusiasts. So we'll try to help guide you. So let's get into it. Yeah, I think let's start with the essentials. If you're going to get one smart home product, what would you recommend for people? This is hard already. Can I? I think there's two smart home products that everybody in the world should have. Okay, I'm excited to hear. Okay, number one, a smart thermostat. Yes. It is a hassle to set up, but you can get professionals to set it up. But the smart thermostat is probably the only smart device that will actually save you money. Can I guess what your second one is? Yeah. Smart lock. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's the one I would say. Smart lock is the second one because it is so convenient. So let's go one at a time with this. Yeah. Um, Well, actually, I'll dive into my favorites for those. But uh, do you have any that you would add as like a must own? I mean, the smart plug, I think, is a really um, a really good way to just test out a smart home product that's super duper easy and cheap. Um, if you get a basically it's a plug that you um, can then just plug a different plot product into. So if you have a regular lamp that's not a smart lamp, you can put um, you can get a smart plug or a smart. What do you call those? Um, you know what you're talking about, but I'm also blanking on it. Yeah, I'm name. blanking on it. Basically, it's something that you can just plug regular electrical appliances into, and then you can control that product with yeah. your phone. That's a super cheap way to enter in. And so um, Belkin has a good Wemo smart plug. I'll put a link in the show notes to that. And that's going to be like a $20 way to test out a smart home product. Yeah. Outside of that, I agree with you. The smart thermostat um, and the smart door lock are both my top things. Uh, yeah. So let's get into some of the recommendations and why we love it. Uh, smart thermostat, uh, Ecobee is my favorite. Um, I love Ecobee. They have a bunch of really fun features. So number one, it's HomeKit compatible. So the other huge competitor, although there's a bunch now, Nest is sort of the Google Nest, or, yeah. Google Nest is sort of the originator of uh, the smart thermostat. It's a great product, but as we talked about, it's not HomeKit compatible. So Ecobee's HomeKit compatible. It has a bunch of really cool features, though, in addition to that. Um, In general, the basic premise of a smart thermostat, A, if you've ever tried to program a non-smart thermostat, you'll right away appreciate why you want a smart one because these user interfaces are so annoying and arduous to set up. Um, So basically, A, A, they're easy to program on your phone if you want to program it. B, a lot of these you don't need to program very much, so a smart thermostat can sense when you're not at home, turn your heat down, sense when you're coming home, turn your heat up. It can um, use, you can kind of program somewhere in between where if you know you come home after work, it can keep your house cooler during the day and then heat it up five minutes before you get home from work. Um, that's the basic premise of it. The other feature of Ecobee that I love, they have sensors that you can put in rooms. So if you, we live here in Iowa where most houses are like a hundred years old and the temperature of the room that happens to have the thermostat is not necessarily representative of the temperature of the room that you're in. Mm -hmm. So you can put little sensors around your house and it can sense what room you're in and adjust the temperature to that. Slash you can program it. What I do 
because I have my bedroom upstairs. Uh, and so the temperature in my bedroom is often very different than the temperature downstairs. At nighttime, I, I only use the temperature in my bedroom as the measure. So it's not like my house is really hot and my room is cold or vice versa. Um, so that is my main pitch. Do you use Ecobee? Is that your so favorite? Ecobee is also what we have. Um, but what I will say is I haven't found that it actually has saved me much money on our, our electricity bill. Okay. Have you, I wanted to ask you, cause like actually this morning, my boyfriend and I went through like our Alliant bills over the last year to see uh, if there had been like a change since putting in the Ecobee. And there wasn't anything super noticeable that way, but I still love the Ecobee. But that claim, like that's what something that a lot of these smart thermostats claim is you're gonna save so much money. And I haven't found that to bear out. So I will say, I, <laughs> I, I've sort of just been chalking this up in, t in terms of user error, which is I don't know that I set it up correctly, but I've had a problem with my Ecobee where it does not adjust the temperature when I'm away from my house. Oh. To the, like to the point where I've actually emailed them about it and they're going to help me set it up correctly so I can report back to you all. I'm yeah. assuming it was just something stupid that I set up. Some of this does come into how you set it up. So for example, if you have your house set at a high temperature all day, it doesn't matter if your thermostat is smart or not smart. So yeah. some of it is that, but I agree that it, I also unfortunately have not saved a lot of money, although I love it. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think um, that yeah, the money saving, I just wanted to put that out there that I'm not gonna back up that claim necessarily. But in terms of having your house be at the temperature that you want it in general, I would say the Ecobee is awesome. And it's so nice being able to set up your thermostat in conjunction with the rest of your smart home products, like you said, to set yeah. up your nighttime scene and then it goes, all your lights turn off and your um, thermostat lowers because you're supposed to sleep at like cooler temperatures. Yeah, exactly. That's really nice. And just even being able to use Siri to control the thermostat. So if you're upstairs and you're cold, you can just ask Siri to adjust the temperature. You don't have to walk downstairs to the thermostat or you can use your phone. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Um, so can we move on to the smart locks? Yes. I think I have the same one as you. It's um, the Yale Assure Lock 2. I might have a later generation Yours, you. I was looking into this. So yours is better than mine, and I'll tell you why. I got the first generation, which I love, but it did not. It's the craziest thing. It replaces the keyhole. There is no key. So oh. it's a passcode, which is fine, except that... It's battery powered, so it literally happened to me once where the batteries died and I hadn't replaced it. I hadn't replaced the batteries in time and then I had to break into my own home. You had to like break in through a window? Because it didn't have a key. So this is a problem that has been solved by yours. So you want to okay. make sure you're buying, in my opinion, you're wanting to make sure you're buying a, a smart lock that is HomeKit compatible, that has a keypad because sometimes 90% of the time... Um, the best part is you leave your house and it's locked. You come home and your door is automatically unlocked for you. So you experience never having to lock your house, never having to fuss with anything. But the reality is your house is safe and secure and locked while you're gone. But every once in a while, your iPhone won't function correctly and it won't unlock for you. Does that happen to you sometimes? It does occasionally. Um, yeah. So that's where the keypad. Yes. Also, you have people visiting your house and... I've learned the hard way that people do not want to have to download an app to, in order to visit your house. <laughs> like if you yeah. have somebody to let your dog out or you have cleaners or something like that, passcodes are really helpful, especially because you can set up a passcode for a cleaner, for example, that's only active for the hours that they're at your house, but I they couldn't that. just come anytime. 
Um, so you want to have one that has a passcode that has uh, HomeKit compatible and that has a keypad, which is go ahead. So it's the Yale Assure Lock 2. It's $160. I wanted to... I Which is a, really affordable. I know. I'm going to put a link to it in our show notes. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that Yale has a bunch of different models, and some of them are not HomeKit compatible. So you want to get this one. There's ones that are Google Nest okay. compatible. So Yale Assure Lock 2. Get the one with the keypad, the physical keypad, instead of a touchscreen, because also... Um, Manual buttons, I found they like are less likely to break and not work than having just like the touchpad um, to, enter in, to enter in the passcode. I but, think similar to wanting to have an actual keyhole too yeah. to open the door, you also just want to have that manual option as well. Mine had a touchpad, and uh, it was also like complicated to use. So like I'd have to teach people how to turn on the 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 lock to activate the smart pad, whereas yeah. like just physical buttons work every time they actually so yale sent me the google nest one at first by accident oh, okay um and it was also one with a touch screen and i noticed that um also the button noises weren't loud when you pressed them so a lot of times you would think you'd entered the passcode but it hadn't fully entered there were a lot of problems that came up from not having actual physical buttons that you can feel press in yeah um and then and then also i hated not having it work with my home kit yeah system. no it's really important to have it work yeah uh, in general i have found this is again why we test all this stuff because especially with smart homes you might have three products that all say they do the same thing and some work great and some don't work i found yale's software to be intuitive and work really well how about you it worked really well and the um the locking function for the most part works amazing where when i arrive at home it unlocks for me and when i leave the house it locks back yeah. again so it's like i for the most part i'm never having to do anything and my house is secure it's so nice um i oh, what was it that i wanted to mention about it too i do the thing with our cleaning service and my parents where i give them passcodes that they can enter with which is really nice um Oh, I was going to say, I don't think you also need to get this professionally installed. It's something that if you have some um, some basic like handyman skills, you can install yourself, <laughs> which I don't, by the way. But um, my dad and boyfriend and I figured it out together and Fun it wasn't that hard. <laughs> Funnily enough, I had Colin install mine for me. Really? <laughs> yeah, Colin, who is the teacher of our security course, uh, was also testing some smart home gear. He he had several of them, and one of them he installed in my house, which was this one. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you and I both are not, like, known to be super handy. I am known to be super not handy, yeah. yeah. But even with, with a little help from friends, we think yeah. you, you all can do it. Yeah. Okay, so those are my main ones. I, I didn't add this as an essential when you brought it up, but I... I think if you're going to um, venture into home entertainment systems and uh, audio systems, I would add having a Sonos system as an essential or at least just a really, really nice to have. Yeah. Which I know this one is going to make you jealous because Sonos sent me a, a system and didn't respond to I, you. I, right? I am a little bit jealous, but I will say that uh, I definitely I'll, I, what I would say is I definitely recommend having an AirPlay compatible speaker. I love my HomePod. So I'm, yeah. you, you and I have different opinions on the HomePod, I think. Yeah. So I actually, yeah, it's true. I haven't really ever fully embraced the smart speaker. Like I used to have an Amazon Echo um, 
and I had a home pod for a while, but I found that it just still didn't quite work well enough that I ended up just being like, this is a little bit annoying. Mm. Um, but why do you love your home pod so much? Well, honestly, especially for smart homes, home pod is really nice because you can then use voice controls for your smart home. So if I but in, you found that it works well, cause that's the thing I'd be like, I'd say commands and it just wouldn't work. I, yeah. I think, I think it's improved. I, I have found it doesn't work perfectly every time. Uh, and we're going to talk about Alexa. Well, I guess now is a, per, a perfectly good time. You kind of want to decide when you're setting up a smart home, you can tell where we're steering you. We're steering you towards the Apple route. There is another route, the <laughs> Alexa route. Uh, which, like which road will you go down? Yeah. Um, and you kind of, in my opinion, want to do one or the other because it gets kind of... I actually have done both in my house, um, which I like messing with stuff enough that I'm patient with it. But in general, I think doing one or the other. So um, that's a side note. But... Uh, using smart speakers, you can use smart speakers to control things in your house, which I really like. I really like if I'm sitting there watching TV, I can say, turn the lights to 10%. And I'm not taking out my phone, opening the app and adjusting it down. And I find it works really well. I can say, turn off all the lights in my house. Um, I have I have a HomePod. I have a HomePod, a mini HomePod, and an Alexa, and just like little things throughout my day, being like, what's the weather like? Or just adjusting things in my home, turn the temperature. I really like being able to do that through voice, which you can't do through Sonos. I guess you maybe can with Alexa. With Alexa, though. Okay. So I don't really use my Sonos for that, although I do have the capability. Um, so I, yeah, I think the HomePod is a good option for people who want a smart speaker, but Sonos, I've had a really good experience with for setting up multi-room audio. So I've got a Sonos speaker in my living room, bathroom, and bedroom, and I can control, um, I can have them all play together and I can also control the volume of each one individually. I can easily just play to like a couple of them and not all of them. It's just really nice being able to do that. And the um, connection strength is just really good. It's AirPlay, which has a longer range than Bluetooth does. So I can be anywhere in the house that has Wi-Fi and easily control my mm -hmm. speakers. And it's not doing that thing where it's like cutting in and out. Yeah. It's just like really great. The sound quality is awesome. The Sonos Beam specifically, it's a $500 sound bar that, that I have of theirs. And it's like, it's amazing the way it creates a surround sound experience just from like a small product and it's the beam is great too because you can use it as a sound bar for your tv correct yes you so can. it can be sort of in your living room as a sound bar for your tv and i really strongly recommend if you have a new tv that's one of those flat screens buying a sound bar because the sound quality and flat screen tvs is terrible um so it can use it for that plus you can use it as a speaker in that room so that yeah. seems like i agree kind of a no-brainer and the Beam is the one that does, you can use voice control with it using Google or Alexa. Um, again, I don't tend to do it that much. I also have a pair of Sonos Ones. Uh, it's $375 for two of them. It, it's just those are good ones if you want to have like one central really good speaker and then some smaller ones to place around the house. Yes. And I think the point that Donna made is a really good one. I love AirPlay. The other benefit of AirPlay, not only is it longer range, they don't you don't compress the audio. So it's just higher quality audio that you're streaming. But the even expensive AirPlay speakers often have a problem of buffering where it'll skip in and out which is not only just really infuriating for music, but if you're trying to listen to a podcast, as we talked about earlier, I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks, it drives me absolutely insane. I have had good luck with my HomePod, uh, but 
uh, a third party platform, uh, Sonos is really good. And other ones I haven't had as good luck with. Yeah, I haven't noticed it skipping in and out. But what it does do is there's just like a decent delay when I go to switch, like I turn on a podcast and switch it to play through my Sonos. And it just feels like it takes longer to connect and start playing than it would through uh, either like Bluetooth headphones or speakers. But once it does connect, it's it works really hmm. well. Okay. So for what it's worth. Um, but yeah, other products that I have that I love would be smart light bulbs. And I think Philips Hue and Nanoleaf are both really good HomeKit compatible light bulb brands. And that's yeah. one of those things that um, I think having smart lights is worth it. And you want to do that if you're having a smart home. So I have big thoughts on this. Okay, yeah, let's hear it. Number one, um, I have ended up over the last couple of years setting up a bunch of different brands of smart lights in people's homes for them. Some were Amazon compatible and some were kind of like the, those tend to be on the cheaper side. And my experience with those are they work okay, but it's night and day from Philips. Philips Hughes though is really expensive. They are not cheap, but you get what you pay for in this regard. They're really easy to set up. They work really reliable every time. And I just find the quality of the light to be a lot better. They have, yeah. their app has really beautiful, it's called scenes, but like if you set them up, you can have it so that you have sort of a color palette in your house, so to speak, where you have like a, each light has a different color, but they all are kind of complementary colors and you end up really nice like vibe in your house. So I really recommend Philip Hughes. That's my first thought. Um, number two, though, the problem, there's a couple of problems with smart lights. It's kind of, in my opinion, and you can tell me if you agree, all or nothing. Yeah. So if you have smart lights really become valuable if you have them everywhere in your house. If you have one smart light in one room, it's not the most useful. Really what makes them great is when you can walk into your house and your whole house, all the lights turn on and you walk, you leave your house, all the lights turn off. You can, if you have the colored models, which are really expensive, unfortunately, you can control the colors around all the rooms. And again, if you have two colored light bulbs and all the rest are white, it doesn't work very well. So it's a little bit all or nothing. Have you had that experience? So I have, I was just looking up um, what I was, the word I was looking for earlier was a smart power strip, a smart plug and a smart power strip are the, if you, if you have those set up, then you could use regular lamps and you could, you could like wire that into your smart home. So that's the only exception I would, well, I mean, I guess that is saying still saying all or nothing. Yeah. Like that would be a way to still have some regular lights around your house, but still be able to control them from your smart home. Well, and also though you can, this is where you get what you pay for, but like there's a problem with all or nothing is it's really tempting to go the cheaper route because you can get light bulbs for a lot cheaper that basically work fine uh, yeah. and then fill your house with them or you can get really expensive light bulbs and then you either have to pay a lot to fill your house with them or you get them in select rooms. So you can do all or nothing in rooms, I would say, would be another route you take. Yeah, Like your I, bedroom I and your done, living room. I haven't done completely housewide and I still like it. But it's so, I mean, I just, this has been an area that I will say that I splurged. Because A, not only are they really expensive, we do often get review units, but I have, gotten so many light bulbs at this point that I just have to pay for them myself. Yeah. But I do. I just feel like I filled my house with them and it's so nice to be able to like. All of your lights are smart lights? 
I, there are a couple exceptions here and there, but basically all the lights I use are smart lights, which means I, and they're all colored smart lights, which was my real splurge. Oh, nice. So that my whole house can have like a color palette as I walk in that's just so nice. That is really nice. Maybe I need to splurge and get some more. It's like, wait till you look at the prices. I mean, I guess I should look this up and actually tell people, but my b belief is that like a pack of four is like, oh. Something insane like that. Now, Phillips Hue. Yeah. Now I will say, if you wait till Black Friday, they almost always have deals. So I have—I don't think I've paid full price for any of them. Uh, but they get expensive. Have you tried Nano Leafs? I know you have. Um, Nano Leaf is another smart lighting company. They have these cool like wall hangings that can do like fun tapestries of light. But they also just have regular smart bulbs. Have I have you used those? not. Have so you? They, yeah. So I have Nano Leaf, and I would say they are a good cheaper alternative to Philips Hue, and they do still have like an I would say high quality lighting um, tones or what do you call. Uh, I don't know. I think that the, like it has a nice warm light. Okay. And you can customize it the same way that you can the Philips Hue, and it is it is cheaper. And they're just so easy to set up. Like you just plug it in. You don't even have to download the Nano Leaf app. You can just um, pair it straight That's from the cool. home app, which is nice. That's cool. So that might be a good alternative. Um, uh, my last comment for smart lights: you may want to consider investing in a smart light uh, control switch. Because you end up with this problem. This is part of why it's all or nothing. If you are in a room, uh, how smart lights work essentially is you leave the light switch turned on all the time, and then uh, you turn, you control the lights through your phone. But if you are in a room that has some lights controlled through your phone and some lights controlled through the light switch, it gets really confusing and inevitably somebody ends up turning the light switch off and then you can't control them through yeah, smart anymore. So there's a couple ways around it. Number one, if you have all your lights controlled through, uh, th that are through smartphone and through smart lights, you can just exclusively control it through your phone. But even then, it's like sometimes you just want to use the light switch. So the solution is... Smart light switch. There's a million brands. Philip Hughes has their own. Uh, I got a deal actually when I bought mine where they bundled it with the lights. I just have two in my house, but I love them because I have one in my bedroom and one downstairs by my door. Those are the only two light switches I really need. They control all the lights in my house. And not only can I use it to turn lights on and off, I can use it to switch between scenes. So I can be like, oh, I want all my lights white and bright because I'm cleaning my house. Or, oh, I want them to be soft and kind of nicer colors. And I can just push a button and cycle through them for my whole house. That I have one of those too, and it's very nice. Yeah, because I have had the problem where I've always tried to use a light and half the time the light's turned off and then you just stop using it altogether. Yeah, and sometimes you don't have your phone by you, so it's nice to have a physical switch that you can use. Totally, um, and sometimes you have people in your house who don't have smartphones, don't have the app set up, and for them it's like invaluable. If you have a guest in your home to actually be able to use a light yeah. switch, turns out it's important. <laughs> yeah, and it was hard. Like when we were talking about essentials, I really think the smart door lock and the thermostat just, they're so practical. But the light bulbs is tempting to include too because I'd say it's like the most fun. It there is, is the something, most fun. So we have a setup where there, we have like a cozy home setting that creates kind of that um, Edison light bulb look throughout the house. It's like a warm golden light. And then we can also say like, Siri, it's movie time. And then everything turns purple and like some of the lights turn off so that it's like just the perfect amount of light to That's watch a amazing. movie. And there's See, just something so fun about that. I love it.
Yeah, I love that. Okay, I've got... So while we're on the topic of fun lights, <laughs> let, let's go if you... Uh, so I'll, let me give you a budget thing, and then I'm going to give you some really expensive things. I'm sorry. The budget item is Philips Hughes has an Edison light bulb, hmm. uh, which you can put... I've done that a couple times over the years to put in lamps. So if you aren't going all in for your whole home, it can be really nice to have a smart light in a lamp. So you can just control Like I have an arc lamp right by my couch, right by the TV. And it's really nice to be able to be like, turn it to 10%. And I can like have a little reading light as I'm mm. working or I can turn it off while I'm watching a movie or something like that. That's my budget option. Now for the expensive ones. Uh, they have, <laughs> Philip Hughes has a light strip that you can put, you mount on the back of your TV mm. And it's responsive to what you're watching on TV. It's It gets really expensive. I th believe it's like $200 or something. Plus, you need to either, they have it, some TVs have an app you can pay for, or you can get the box. I have a box, which also is like $100. So it's not a cheap solution, but it's really a fun solution. Because when you're watching a movie, your whole wall behind your TV, especially if you have a mounted TV or you're right next to the wall, is basically a colors responsive colors to the movie you're watching so i was just watching john wick and like it's all these techno lights in the movie and like my whole wall is like reflecting all those colors that sounds really fun it's it's a splurge nobody in the world needs this but it's really fun nano leaf makes uh light strips too i don't okay. know if they do exactly that though i don't think they're responsive to what you're watching gotcha yeah the light cool. strips in general are fun because you can have a lot of colors in a strip but yeah. um yeah, they are not necessarily uh, as cool as when you can do this. The other one that's a fun option that also nobody needs but is fun is Nanoleaf has, like you were talking about earlier, they not only make smart light bulbs, they make, how would you describe them? They're like hexagon-shaped wall panels yes. that emit light and like change based on... Uh, your environment and you'll know more about that part yeah so they there's two there's they have a bunch of them some of them are bars some of them are hexagon shaped but basically they come it's almost like legos where they come in a set and you assemble them in a pattern on your wall however you want um some of them are basically colored lights that can like flicker based on your mood base it's responsive to music oh that was the cool one so you can turn on music and it'll be like responsive to music i got one that was called nano leaf elements i like that better these yeah because they it's a mixed bag with this where it's it's fun but it can be a little bit cheesy <laughs> uh whereas the nano leaf elements is a it's like a fake wood panel on each of these and it just looks in my opinion, less cheesy. Some mm -hmm. people have commented. I actually like kind of have done an informal poll of people in my house. Some people thought it was cheesy. Some people thought it wasn't. So you're still running a risk a little bit. No, it's really like the natural wood elements. I think they're really pretty. Yeah. Whereas the other one, it's fun for a specific kind of like disco vibe, but like might not be understated enough for some people. And these aren't colored, but they're kind of a really nice, they create a really nice glow effect in the room that just yeah. makes the color the lighting really warm in general for all of these not only are is the smart features nice but just traditional light bulbs can be kind of harsh and you can create really nice warm light in your room uh that can just make the room feel better we're all you know stuck inside for the winter uh and it can be really nice so this helps with that i have it has like a little it's called like a waterfall pattern where the lights kind of like light up randomly 
but in a way that just looks really appealing to me. Cool. So that's one that's a smart one. It was also, I agree, Nanoleaf is particularly easy to set up. I set up this whole complicated pattern of it and it just set up smoothly and easily and I had no problems with it. So I've actually run through all of my essentials, the ones that I like the most. There are some other things like smart humidifiers and uh, like dog treat throwing, doggy <laughs> camp, stuff like that that I'll link to in the show notes. But David, I feel like you have a more extensive setup. Are there any other products I you have wanted to one, go and you and I, I think this is one of the areas where you and I differ. But I have one that I was almost going to put in as an essential, and I would, I would say I do think it is essential um, that you don't like, and that is the smart doorbell. Oh yeah, that's right. The um, I I just don't personally think I need like video surveillance. Okay, so that is house. fair. Because like, you have um, a smart doorbell, but then also don't you have like home security cameras and stuff like that? I, I haven't. Do. I haven't gone that route yet. So this, I would put the smart doorbell as its own category because it's one of those products, this is a weird comparison, but similar to an Apple Watch where it ends up being useful in a dozen ways that you didn't think it would be useful. Really? Because, yeah, I'm just thinking, I'm like, okay, like my house is small, I can see someone at the door. Yeah, so it's useful for, let me give you a few use cases. Okay. The ob so basically how it works, is, I think it's obvious, but it's a doorbell that has a camera in it. Uh, so when come to, somebody comes to the door, you can both talk to them through the camera, you can see them, uh, and you can also just monitor video footage over time. So I just a million times just found it to be useful. Um, for example, you can see if the mailman has come to le leave a package for you. Mm, you can nice. see what the package is. Uh, there's a lot of times where somebody comes to my house for some reason and I'm not home and I can talk to them and say, hey, I'm not home. Leave it here. Or, hey, you know, why are you here? And there's just been a number because we live in a small town. So <laughs> obviously the security functionality is great if you need it. I have been fortunate to never have anybody try to break into my house. So I haven't had to use it very much. But I also a million times have been like, oh, so-and-so came to my house. I'm not there yet. Let me text them to tell them that I'm on my way because I didn't realize they'd be there that early. I could see that being useful. I was just laughing to myself because I feel like it would mostly show me uh, my mom coming by to drop off things because she likes to like leave me a little <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, also, if you have kids, it's in both okay, if you I have teenagers trying to sneak out of the house, it is <laughs> I cannot even tell you how valuable it is or sneak people into the house. <laughs> Not that I would know. Uh, uh, and uh, just like if you have kids that are of an age that can come and go on their own, it is so Oh, valuable to know if they're there or not and what their circumstances are. Um, so that is another thing. Also, just for families, like knowing if my partner has come home yet, uh, things like that. So I've just kind of knowing who's at your house is not only a security logis reason, but also just logistics and managing day-to-day -day life for a family. I found it to be really valuable. So have I sold you on it? I, I'm like, okay, if I have kids in the future, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it was the teenager thing they got yeah. you, wasn't it? Yeah. So let me walk you through a few factors here. There's a million brands. All of them are good. This is an area where I don't think you have to get a smart home compatible version. It is sometimes nice, but, uh, in general, with the security camera type things, they tend to be standalone products anyway, so you're not integrating it as much. Um, Arlo is a brand that is smart home compatible, that has high quality. Another factor here that you wanna think through is do you want a wired or a wireless version? And there's pros and cons. 
The wired version will charge, so you don't need a battery for it, um, but it's a little harder to set up because you have to actually, <laughs> you don't have to be an electrician per se, but you need to know how electric wires work and things like that. You also have to have your house wired for a doorbell, which fun fact, my house was never wired for a doorbell, which I shocked me. It's 120 years old. Nobody had put in a doorbell. Yeah. Um, so I got the wireless. The wireless is super easy to install. You basically just like literally just mount it on the wall. Um, but you have to remember to charge it every few months, which I'm lazy about. So then I lose access to it every few months. That's actually a selling point to me, realizing I can just get a wireless one and, and bypass all the It is quick things. and easy. Because I think part of the reason I haven't gotten one is I was like, uh, like just seeing how long certain things take to set up. I'm like, I need to like really want this yes, to do it. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so that helps me. Wire. So then in addition to that, you do want to make sure you're looking into the price for the storage plans. Eufy, one of the things I'm sad about is Eufy had an opt had a camera that was pretty high quality that did not require you to pay for cloud storage. So you need cloud storage because if you have a security incident, you want to be able to go back and view it later. You don't just want to talk to somebody when they're at your house. You want to be able to see, did somebody come and go 10 minutes ago? Uh, so when you're buying it, don't just look at the price of the camera. Also look at the price of the storage. Some have free options, some don't. Um, Arlo also has security cameras that are great. So if you want those in your house as well, I recommend those. Okay. I think I mostly did it. Let, I, I just want to kind of clean up a few things here though. Is that okay? Are we, are we, I know we're pushing time here. Yeah, no, go for it. Okay. So I want to give a couple examples for, we talked about the Belkin, uh, Wemo smart plug, and I want to give a couple examples of ways I found it to be really. Um, one of my favorite little examples is on Christmas trees. You can have it because oh, especially yeah. if you're using an old fashioned light that uh, can cause, you know, there's some fire risks there. You can have it so it turns on at night, like in the evening when the sun goes down and turns off when you go to bed. And so you have a Christmas tree on when you want it and you don't have it on when you don't. Another example that I have, because Donna mentioned here, you have a smart thermostat, which or sorry, a, a smart um, humidifier, which I'm really jealous of. Yeah. So what I did is I bought a really dumb humidifier, <laughs> but I bought a Belkin uh, smart plug. And so now my humidifier is programmed to turn on at eight o'clock at night and turn off at eight in the morning only when I'm at my house. If I'm out of town, it doesn't turn on. So that's a really fun example as well. I have a salt lamp in my room that I like the light of. And it's it was a way of kind of hacking, not wanting to buy another light bulb. Yeah. And then in the, when I say turn off all the lights in my house, that is included because I have a smart plug on it and That's it turns really that nice. off so a few examples there for that uh, other couple things just to run by really quickly home security we've talked about a couple camera options but if you want a full security system those have become really plug and play so you don't have to use the like really expensive professional level services anymore um two that i have tested abode is uh plug and play and it is home kit compatible but I, this is actually one of the few cases where I recommend Simply Safe, which is not HomeKit compatible, but I found it infinitely easier to set up and use. So Simply Safe obviously is like the industry leader in this. I found it to be really easy to set up and use. That's pretty happy about work, it. Right? Yeah, I'm pretty happy with it in general. It's customizable, so how much it costs depends on what you pay for. But I've been happy with that. Um, I have a smart ling fan, Hunter. And uh, which I, hunter they just sell at like 
Lowe's and Menards and stuff. That's right? one but of the things I liked about option. it is that I just needed a ceiling fan and it was the same price. So if you're in the market for That's ceiling nice. fans, Hunter has one. And so now it's actually really nice in my room because I can ask Siri to turn my fan on or off from bed <laughs> that's really nice yeah. i like that or turn it up whatever yeah because um, that's one of those things i fiddle with a lot before going to bed yeah actually. exactly uh so i think that is my list i do want to just one more time clarify because i i think i gave advice that i want to backpedal a little bit on if you are an enthusiast uh you may want to consider having a smart home that is both home pod and Amazon Echo setup. You kind of have to duplicate the setup across both platforms and it's confusing and hard to do, which is why I didn't recommend it. But Amazon Echo Dots are $25 and you can put them anywhere in your house and then you have so many more options to control your house that that's what I ended up doing and I'm happy with my solution, but know that you're setting up a more complicated solution by doing that. And so you just have to remember based on the room whether to invoke Alexa or Siri. Yeah, and not just that, but like when I set up my smart lights, I had to set up the whole house in my HomePod app or my home app on my iPhone and in the Alexa app, both. Oh yeah, that's that's and if I move a light bulb, I have to move them in both places. It's it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. But it is really nice to be able to use both because some the, your problem is not wrong, though. I'll sometimes ask Alexa to do something when I'm in my HomePod room or vice versa, which is also really annoying. So your best bet is to buy all HomePods, but they're really expensive. Yeah. OK, I think I did it. I think I got through all of my things. <laughs> See, I'm so glad that we took the time to do this episode because. I really enjoy having my smart home. Sounds like you do too. Yes, it's so much fun. And, you know, we know all of you listening are also Apple enthusiasts. That's why you're listening to this podcast. So please let us know how it goes for you when you go to set up your smart home. Email us at podcast at iphonelife.com to let us know, do you have a smart home? Do you like it? What tips would you give to people of what, what definitely to do and what not to do? And I'll put in an extra special plug for insiders Donna and I can take some time for Ask an Expert. So if you have questions around setting this stuff up, if you're an insider, use Ask an Expert and we'll, we'll try to man that as well. Because I think Smart Home is a good use case for our Ask an Expert feature for insiders. Yes, exactly. All right. And stick around insiders for our special complaints and learning. Yes. And we'll see the rest of you for our May episode. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody.